Welcome to the sermon podcast of Christ Church Medicine, a community coming home to Jesus and His Church. For more information about us, visit ChristChurchMedicine.com. Good morning. Yeah, let's do that again. Good morning. Yeah, great to be with you all. It's a joy, always a joy and pleasure. As Caitlin said, I'm Pastor Jens Notstead, and I'm hailing from Whitewater. I actually grew up in Cambridge, closer by, but live in Whitewater now with my family. And just I'm always, always thankful to be with you all here at Christ Church. It really is a lot of fun to be together on this cozy winter morning. Um, speaking of cozy, I want you all to imagine with me uh, a dog, all right? You can close your eyes if it helps you. This dog is a black lab, old, medium size, nice, long, glossy coat, but definitely on, you know, sunset years. Uh, his name is Berg, Berg the dog. He also has <laughs> uh, massive tumors. On, you know, you ever seen those two dogs with like just a bunch of tumors? And it's like you can't help when you look at the dog, but you just see the tumors. And you love the dog. But man, you don't want to pet the dog because then your like, hand is going like this up and over tumors. And it's kind of gross, right? You guys know the kind of dog I'm talking about. This is Berg. Uh, the reason I, want, I wanted to uh, bring up Berg, our old friend, is that... Um, Berg was an uh, attendee at one of our earliest uh, Eucharist services in Racine, Wisconsin, a little congregation called Parish House. Berg and his owners, Luke and Julie Campbell and their family, another family, a few others, were gathered in their living room, just a small space, uh, I think it was a winter night, actually. They got a cozy fire burning, and we had a little table set up. And the reason I remember Berg, because at the time I think I was a deacon, I was doing a deacon's mass or a lay distribution of communion, and I just kept worrying that Berg would tip over the communion table because he kept running under it and running around, and he's got these tumors hanging off him that might catch a candle, and you never know what's going to happen. That's why I remember Berg. It was a beautiful moment, a simple moment. I couldn't help but thinking as I was there, I wonder if this is what the church felt like at the very beginning, you know, the earliest, earliest churches. In a home, no official institutional structure or buildings at that point, right? A couple families huddled kind of together, intimate, random dogs running around, <laughs> sharing the Lord's Supper, sharing the Lord's very presence. Small, simple, seemingly very insignificant. In our eyes, at least. Obviously, for me, my chief memory is a tumor-riddled dog from those moments. There's a great scene from a, an, a classic 80s action sci-fi thriller where a couple guys end up in a back alley, and one of them, one of the, one of the two main characters, one of them is trying to convince the other 
to put on a pair of glasses, sunglasses. And the other guy's like, I don't want to put on the sunglasses. And the scene escalates from an argument to pushing and shoving to an all-out back-alley brawl between these two guys over six minutes, throwing each other against dumpsters, right? Passers-by looking at the alley, thinking, what is going on all over putting on these sunglasses? The larger premise of the movie is that the glasses allow you to see reality. That aliens have taken over Earth and they've broadcast this signal that's blinded most humans to the fact that aliens have taken over Earth. They've got subliminal messages and all the billboards and advertising. They look hideous. But once you don't ha- if you don't have the glasses on, everyone looks happy and normal. It's only when the glasses are on when you see reality. This big billboard that's for Sprite or whatever says, Obey. Big black letters. Half the people on the sidewalk are actually aliens. <laughs> They're fighting in an alley for seeing. And the one main character is trying to enlist his friend's help, but he needs him to see first. Just put on the glasses. The movies They Live, by the way, John Carpenter, great movie, rated R, great for some, not for all. It's a battle in this movie over right seeing. I want to see rightly, and I want my friend to see rightly so he will join me. But you have to have eyes to see. You need the glasses to see rightly. And that's why the battle, the fight, is over putting on the glasses. Today's gospel passage is about seeing, in part. About seeing rightly. Whether it's an alien invasion or a tiny church starting how do we see rightly namely it's about seeing Jesus in today's passage which seems like a no brainer right but yet throughout the gospels we hear a constant refrain and lament often from Jesus himself having eyes to see but seeing not, having ears to hear, but hearing not. It's said about those who are opposed to Jesus. Often it's the Jewish religious leaders, the Pharisees, or the kind of the cultural elites, the Sadducees, or the educated upper class, the highly educated, the scribes, the teachers. Again and again, we have this refrain. They have eyes to see, but they do not see. It's not as though they're entirely blind. We do meet blind characters in the Gospels, and they are actually the ones who have a better window into who Jesus actually is because he heals them. It's the ones who can see but are seeing wrongly, who are seeing incorrectly, who are seeing only the surface. They're just blind to Jesus, 
blind to God himself in their midst. They cannot or will not see him for who he really is. Far more rare are their accounts when people actually get it, when they actually do see, when it clicks for them. Enter today, Simeon and Anna. Two characters we only meet here in Luke's gospel, only in this particular moment, the story, yet we do meet them. They are named in the scriptures, which is significant. Hint, pay attention to these people. Both of them are old, probably fairly nondescript characters. They certainly aren't kings. They're not labeled as any sort of elite upper crust of society. What are they labeled as? Righteous, devout, faithful, which is a lesson right there. If you want posterity to remember you, forget about titles or jobs. Be righteous and devout. Live a devout and faithful life. But what do we see about Simeon and Anna today is that they see Jesus. Do they not? For who he is. And this is before the miracles. This is before the Sermon on the Mount. There's probably a lot of squawking and flailing at this point, actually. Coming from Jesus. But they see him for who he is. Simeon proclaims in his beautiful song, My eyes have seen your salvation. Simeon and Anna saw Growing up uh, on, on, our week, on a farm, we did some deer hunting, white-tailed deer. Occasionally, my dad would arrange for trips for us. My brother and I, we'd go out to eastern Montana to do some hunting out there. He had a friend from high school. Now, I thought I was a woodsman and an elite hunter, and boy, was I wrong when I went to Montana. We had it pretty easy on the farm where I was. But then I went to Montana. My dad's friend, his name's Donnie. You got these wide open spaces, plateaus, buttes, you can see for miles. And he's seeing animals and deer and owls and things that I would never pick up while he's driving his pickup along a cliffside on his phone. He'll be talking to someone, driving, oh, there's three deer over there, two deer over there. My brother and I are huddled, you know, trying not to throw up because we're going to fall over this cliff on this truck because we hadn't trained to see yet. He had spent his life hunting out in these regions. He had learned. See, growing up where we'd grown up, all you needed to see was a flash of color or movement, kind of something flashy on the surface, and you were good. You'd find the deer. Problem solved. You could find a lot of other things there too. But what about when you're out in the open? You need to see a little bit differently. What, what about when it's harder? He had trained his eyes to see deeper than just the surface level movement or coloration, to see a shape, right? To see a contour, maybe the outline of an ear, that kind of torso, distinctive flash of a tail. He saw differently. And he trained his eyes to see 
differently. He had eyes to see that we did not have. And he'd actually been trained by his surroundings and by his practice. Having eyes to see salvation, to see Jesus, means seeing differently. Seeing as God sees. Remember, he doesn't see as we see. And the Lord was calling David and passing over older, taller, more attractive brothers, more kingish types. He tells Samuel, for the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. We as Christians are called to see with eyes of faith, eyes that can see salvation like Simeon and Anna, because we walk by faith, not by sight. Amen? So let's learn from Anna and Simeon today. Let's learn. Can we train ourselves to see as God sees? Can we train our eyes to see salvation? What can we learn from these two saints, these great witnesses to the incarnate Lord? First, the Lord is our consolation and no other. We have this verse 25 here in our gospel where it's describing Simeon right after he's named as righteous and devout. What does it say? He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Hmm. I wonder what it's like to wait for consolation. We don't really need to do that anymore, do we? We, we have so much access to self-consolation at all times, in all places. Now, you've, you've got to hear me, please. These are good things. I'm not poo-pooing or trying to be puritanical. But think about it, a glass of wine after a long day, a favorite TV show, maybe an extra dessert, oh, a quick purchase on Amazon for that thing I'm missing. When do we actually wait anymore? When do we wait for consolation? We've become experts at self-consolation, but boy, is that depressing in the end, isn't it? <laughs> And it's only a, a, a feedback cycle that gets bigger and bigger. It's a positive loop. We just keep needing more and more consolation. How quickly these things become ends in themselves, too, right? Well, we're no longer seeking consolation. We're just seeking that thing, which is idolatry. Because consolation belongs to the Lord. He is our great consoler. Jesus is our one true consolation. Simeon was waiting for Jesus. Full stop. Are we? It's a question for us. How are you consoled? What do you turn to for comfort, assurance, or probably just distraction and a quick pleasure? Often, it's as much of a product of impatience, right? 
as desire. I don't want to wait. The passage from Jeremiah we heard read this morning, this great sweep of consolation for a people abandoned, exiled, isolated, homeless. Someday we're going to come home. We'll be back in Jerusalem, in Zion. Who is going to do this? Do we do this ourselves? The last few verses of that Jeremiah passage. Then shall the young women rejoice in the dance, and the young men and the old shall be merry. I, says the Lord, I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and give them gladness for sorrow. I will feast the soul of the priests with abundance, and my people shall be satisfied with my goodness, declares the Lord. God is our only consolation, friends. Beware of any attempts to self-console or anyone telling you to take the matter of consolation into your own hands. Beware. Our consolation is in the Lord. Next, our consolation is in the Lord. Next, we cling to God's promises. We cling to those promises. We read this right after it says he was waiting for the salvation of the Lord, verse 26. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. What a great promise. Good for Simeon. But man, hasn't the Lord promised us good things too? How silly we are sometimes to give up on God. And I'm talking, about, I'm talking about myself here as much as anyone else. I mean, like, think about He already died for you. What more does he need to do to prove himself to us? He did it. If he promises something, he's going to be good on it. Why do we struggle so much to trust his promises? I wonder sometimes if we actually don't like very much what God has promised us. You know, we have our own ambitions, our dreams, and then we hear from God, and it's like, ah, I like my plan better. (laughs) I like my promises better. Maybe he gives us a word or an image, and it's disturbing because it's not what we actually think we want. We don't like it very much. We don't like it as much as our own picture of our life. Except God is smarter than us. His plan is better. His promise is better. Don't you love our psalm today, our beautiful psalm? This great psalm, the song of joy about being in the Lord's presence, right? Being in the temple, worshiping the Lord. What a great psalm. And then this line from verse 10, for a day is better in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. A day in your courts is better than a thousand. And then I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. I'd rather be a doorkeeper as long as it's the Lord's house. Who cares if it's a terrible promise, which it won't be that the Lord gives you. Who cares? It's the Lord's promise. Wouldn't you rather be there? 
cling to God's promises. Sure, they may seem a little off-putting, but they're God's. That's good news. Hold on tight. So we're consoled by God and we cling to his promises. Finally, and this one, friends, you gotta, be, you gotta, you gotta trust me. Be crazy for Jesus. Anna, our second character today we meet. I don't know about you, but Anna seems a little crazy, right? Let's just be honest. Spends all her time in the temple, super old, fasting and praying. You ever meet anyone like that? I know what I would do if I saw someone like that. Try to avoid them. Because that's what I do with weird people. (laughs) I try to avoid them. (laughs) And then she starts to spontaneously praise God. Just breaks out praising God in the middle of the temple. Certainly causing a stir in a scene. She's talking to anyone she can about the redemption of Israel. She's sharing the good news of God's salvation in Jesus. There is a time to be a fool for Jesus. And I think that time is now, friends. Seriously, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we are only going to look crazier and crazier to the rest of the world. So get used to it. (laughs) Get used to being crazy. Put on the sunglasses. Stop trying to be normal. That's not our call. And it won't work. The book of James makes it very clear. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. The world is not our friend. Jesus is. But we're going to look crazy. If we are walking in thanksgiving and adoration and praising Jesus and talking about him, that's not going to look normal. We're just not going to fit in. Praise be to Jesus. (laughs) That's not our call to fit in. It's our call to be faithful. And I'm not talking about being crazy for crazy's sake. Just hear that. I'm saying follow Jesus. Keep Christianity weird. Don't back down from that weirdness. You know, sometimes there is no stranger thing to a fallen world than just praising God. Right? It just doesn't make sense. When the scriptures say give thanks at all times, that's crazy. We don't actually have a reason to give thanks at all times outside of the Lord Jesus. But we do have the Lord Jesus. So we do give thanks at all times. Be crazy for Jesus. Friends, God is our consolation. We cling to his promises. And we are crazy for Jesus. That is how you will have eyes to see salvation. I want to close with a bit of a bigger picture here, and I, if you'll indulge me, which I know you will because I'm your guest, and you're very hospitable here. 
So years from now, when people talk about the Wisconsin Revival, which you're in right now, by the way. So welcome to the Wisconsin Revival. If anyone here is new today, welcome to the Wisconsin Revival. We're crazy and we're weird, but we have great music and dancing. When people talk about the Wisconsin Revival, I want to make sure they remember a couple places. The first is what I mentioned at the beginning. A little gathering with the dog, (laughs) Berg, Luke and Julie Campbell. They had a call to reach their neighborhood. So from their home, they actually started a vacation Bible school, which became a church that they started in their garage for their neighbors. And they reached out to their neighborhood. And guess who came? All the kids in the neighborhood. They had actually asked their parents' permission to leave the house to go to church on Sunday morning. I was there. I saw it. These kids would tear down the street on their own. You got to picture it. They're knocking on their neighbors' doors so that it's a very mixed-income neighborhood. It's diverse. You've got these, these little black kids, Hispanic kids, white kids running from door to door, knocking on these really wealthy, kind of post-Christian, old, anglo retired, retired folks on Sunday morning, asking them to go to church. <laughs> it's awesome. Because it was their church. And it was Anglican. I mean, this is Holy Communion every week. There's a liturgy. These kids. Sometimes it was just Luke and Julie Campbell and about 15 kids. That was the worship service. And it was awesome. They called it parish house. Parish being a rough translation of near place, near house. It was a place as near as you could get for these kids to meet Jesus and see him. On the outside, it looked like a waste of time. Seeing with the world's eyes. And that's actually how they felt often. Is this, is this worth it? They put in a lot of work. You should see the garage. It's gorgeous. How is this sustainable? You just got a bunch of neighborhood kids, rugrats. Of course it's sustainable because these neighborhood kids from broken homes were coming home to Christ and his church. Praise the Lord. You guys know something about that, right? It's sustainable because it's the kingdom of God which is why we need the eyes of faith to see his salvation when it comes. That was the kingdom of heaven coming down into that garage on Park Street in Racine, Wisconsin. And God is able to sustain his kingdom. He doesn't need us to do that. Of course it was sustainable. That's one place. The other place that I want everyone to talk about when the Wisconsin rival is really bumping I want you to talk about a little gathering in Walworth, Wisconsin. Tiny town near the Illinois border in the basement of Golden Years Retirement Community. Steve and Helen Buchanan were gathering folks who lived there for a Bible study. Now, you know how you walk into a room sometimes and you just feel like, oh, this is home. That's not how I felt there. I felt very out of place. It was weird because it was a bunch of old folks that I didn't know in a weird jury basement with other old folks that I didn't know, leading them in a Bible study. But it was the kingdom of God 
It was the real thing because people were meeting Jesus in his word. The elderly, it became a congregation. It was already meeting on Sundays. They started meeting weekly. And now they've been multiplying into different facilities because they have a church in this nursing home. And someone will leave a nursing home and go to a new facility. So they'll just start a church with that new facility. It is awesome. And it's the kingdom of God. Again, from the outside, this is a foolish endeavor. With the eyes of the world, this looks silly. Why would you start a church with a bunch of people that are just going to die? But the foolishness of God is greater than man's wisdom, right? And the weakness of God is stronger than men. The name of that church, by the way, if you didn't guess it, St. Simeon and Anna, Anglican Church. Friends, let us have eyes to see the salvation that is before us and around us, to see Jesus like Simeon and Anna did, and to see his kingdom. Jesus has come to die for us, to save us. He can save others too. Praise the Lord. It's not our job. It's his. Let's follow him. Let's point to him. Let's see him and his salvation. His salvation is coming. It's everywhere. And the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So let's pray for more laborers. Can we pray right now for more laborers? Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, you look out with loving eyes on this great harvest field. And you have called us to pray for more laborers. You have called us to pray for people who will take up the call to go and share your gospel, to see with the eyes of faith, to see salvation, and to walk forward in faith, walking into that salvation, walking into a neighborhood, into a garage, into a nursing home, wherever you call us. Lord, we want your kingdom to come. We want your will to be done. Open our eyes to see your salvation and raise up laborers for this great harvest in Wisconsin. In Jesus' name.